Hello and welcome to season two, episode two. I'm Lydia Youssef with the In Mahaba podcast. And today, in this episode, we are going to be discussing social justice and Christianity. Um, we're still kind of in the introductory phase, so I'm not going to be necessarily discussing any scholars yet or any major works. We are going to read two Bible passages, though, um, from the Old and New Testament. But essentially, we're still in the introductory phase. Um, so basically, I wanted to talk about this concept that I had heard recently. I think it's something I hear often, but I was... It pissed me off that it reemerged during uh, the protests and the murder of George Floyd. And that argument, um, there was a priest who was responding on a Facebook post, um, and he was saying racism is bad, which again, great <laughs> that you are able to identify racism as bad, um, you know, because most racists can identify racism as bad <laughs> they just can't identify it as something that they do or that they are part of the problem so you know as my father would say so <laughs> you did a great job but anyways he was saying racism was bad and that the murder of george floyd was bad um and then he said something very interesting he said please remember that social justice is not the goal or the mission of the church but instead the goal or mission of the church is the salvation of the world and i've heard this numerous times uh by you know particularly priests um but i've heard it rephrased by elders um a lot of the elders in the church um who are very like we don't need to hold a political stance because they identify social justice as political um and i will discuss this <laughs> um because it's a very weird and interesting thing that you know to do good in the world is seen as political um i don't know um anyways and to me this was very interesting because i think there's a tendency in the coptic church to define salvation of the world as a measure of quantity in other words how many people go to church how many churches do we have how many priests do we have um salvation of the world is building a church in kenya <laughs> you know um and sending people to speak english to people in kenya uh in to people in Uganda, etc., uh, even though this is a colonizer language, um, to set up a hospital and displace their natural healers, to set up a school and displace their teachers, um, so displace their economy and their politics, right, um, for the sake of Christ. <laughs> um, and this is how the church interprets salvation of the world. It interprets it as a ritual, right? So praying at the altar. It interprets it as missionary work. Um, it interprets it as quantity, which is why we have this wonderful brainchild called the American Coptic Orthodox Church. So forgetting the fact that, you know, American is a very racist term because <laughs> the real Americans are on reservation camps um, and white people stole that name so as to legitimize themselves as part of the land, as owners of the land, um, so as to disenfranchise Americans and also to disenfranchise uh, the slaves and immigrants that they brought here. So I hate the term American. I don't use it um, unless I'm referring to those folks who are on reservation camps um, who are Americans. Um, I prefer to say white people as white people <laughs> um, or if someone has U.S. citizenship to say someone who has you know, a black person with U.S. citizenship. 
um, etc. A black immigrant who has U.S. citizenship. Um, and I think those terms help us so much in social justice to see um, how this country <laughs> projects itself, right? Um, it projects white people as natural and everyone else is hyphenated everyone else even like <laughs> the folks they stole the land for from are native americans they're not americans they're native americans or some other subspecies um and this is really important so language is very important as well so anyways i'm very anti-american coptic orthodox church but anyways but this is also a brainchild of this ideology that the church brings salvation what is salvation it is ritual it is quantity um salvation is way too many churches way too many priests without a quality of service without a nurturing of the people right um there needs to be a maternal instinct um that isn't there in a lot of Coptic churches. So you then go into a problem when you begin to define salvation of the world as a quantity, as a ritual. Um, and I'll dive more into this when we get to the biblical passages. But this is why social justice is important. And actually, you know, I disagree with the priest because social justice is not separate from salvation of the world. It is salvation of the world. Um, and it's very interesting to me that he would separate it, um, that he would assume that when Christ came into the world and he sat on the mountain and he said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake. Um, when he started these speeches, when he said, woe to you Pharisees, days before they would murder him, <laughs> um, when he healed people that others assumed to be sinners, when he met with women that others assumed to be sinners, that they said you shouldn't be dealing with them, to the point that they called him a friend of sinners, right? This was his life's work. When Christ... Um, was here <laughs> i don't want to say his life's work because that's weird but anyways but you understand what i'm saying like the 33 years that he spent that he you know graced us <laughs> on this earth what was he doing <laughs> the whole answer comes down to social justice actually almost every single chapter of the gospels of the four gospels take every single chapter can be brought down to a social justice concept. That's how, you know, rooted um, a lot of social justice theory should be or is in biblical tradition um, because it was the nature of Christ's work, right? When we say, how does one save the world? How does one bring the world into salvation? It is through social justice um, because the important thing about social justice is that it is introspective, right? And that's very important that it sees it, it. Well, no, it forces you to see what you have done and what you can do not to fix things, but to support. And that's very important. That's very, very important. <laughs> um, we're going to dive into this um, throughout the year um, in discussing this, but I think social justice is very important to Christianity. I think it is in and of itself, um, a, you know, a, a full, 
I don't know, all the bunas say like the, you know, the chair that has the, or the stool that has the legs. I feel like it is a leg of the stool, you know. Um, you have the church, you have the Bible, you have the traditions, and you have social justice. Um, many, 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 many bishops and priests wrote about social justice. Um, they may not have called it that, because <laughs> this is a very modern term, but that doesn't mean that the concept didn't exist if it wasn't in vocabulary. Um, so I, I just feel that it is a very strong part of Christianity and that it is something that we shouldn't dismiss as something that is foreign to the church or something that is um, too sensitive, right? It's too political, which again, <laughs> I think most of you have heard me say this. There is no such thing as being apolitical. There is no such thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> you cannot call yourself apolitical. The clothes that you buy that were made in a sweatshop, that's a political act. The food that you buy that was picked by the undocumented, that's a political act. The meat that you buy from Tyson Factory and these other monopolies, it's a political act because it shows who you support and the people you do not support. Um, it shows what systems you support, right? So you may support the working class not receiving a living wage or you may pay the working class for their wages. Um, so everything is so minute as like where you get your coffee from, Starbucks or the local coffee shop. Where do you get your food from? The local Arab market or Walmart? It makes all the difference politically. Um, so we often think of social justice as voting, We often, which I think is a very white way of looking at it. And I really, really, really want people, especially in the Coptic community, to redirect themselves from thinking of it that way. But really think political as the everyday. Um, what schools you go to, why you live a segregated existence, what neighborhood you live in, um, what opportunities are there for you, what language do you speak, what accents do you have, what car do you own or don't own. <laughs> Everything is a political act um, because politics simply means recognizing our inter interdependency on each other. And that's very important. <laughs> politics is not a system it's not congress it's not the president it's not the judicial branch it's us <laughs> it's our relationship to each other um, because we are the ones the people we are the ones who give power to the government we are the ones um you know whether or not we vote we give them power we allow them um to be <laughs> to live in other words i think a lot of people could argue against this right especially if you know your government is a military, that's a little difficult and harsh to say. But in essence, um, I don't want to generalize because I think especially in the Egyptian condition right now, <laughs> um, the one who created and stabilizes the military is other European militaries. Um, so it is a little bit harder <laughs> um, to say that about Egypt because the government does not mirror the people. So I just want to say sometimes we are the ones uh, who mirror our government and give that uh, legitimacy to that government. So anyways, coming back to the main point, social justice is important to Christianity. <laughs> um, one, because we have to stop thinking that politics is separate from us. Um, it is inherently a part of our lives. Um, and I know a lot of people, again, don't like thinking about this because they don't want to think that they've done something wrong. Um, it's very time-consuming and exhausting 
to say, you know, I live right next to a Walmart and I just need some milk (laughs) on my way home from work, you know, Um, instead of driving the extra 10 minutes to go to uh, the small business market. Um, It's exhausting work. And I think this is why really, actually, truly, there's an aversion to social justice um, because it is exhausting. It is exhausting to continually be introspective, to think about how I am harming or benefiting someone and to never see yourself as a hero is really an important tenet of social justice Um, to see yourself just living as a duty to your community that you must think of your community um, that you're not a savior (laughs) that you cannot save anybody Um, and I think this is one of the most important things that Christians can take from it we have this mentality of we can save people we can save the world you cannot (laughs) God is the one who saves You are the one um, who labors with God. You are the one who tries, but you are ultimately not the one who finishes the job. You are not ultimately the one um, who allows the job or brings the labor to fruition. It is God (laughs) at the end of the day. And I think this is a very Christian concept that all our labor becomes very little. Um, And social justice teaches you this. It teaches you that thinking about where you're going to get your milk from is the bare minimum that you can do for people, you know, Um, that you need to care about folks. Um, And that the easiest way to do that is just to question your life practices um, and think of your life as political. So social justice is important to Christianity because it is what the prophets and the apostles and our savior did um, while they were on uh, the earth. Um, and even, you know, the first, you know, when the angels heralded, heralded the birth of Christ, the first verse that is said is peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Glory to God in highest peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Um, and we say this all the time in the liturgy, but I don't think we understand what does that simple verse mean? Glory to God in the highest peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Um, it summons the age of social justice, in my opinion. It summons the age of salvation, which I think, um, I don't think they're synonymous. I don't think salvation and social justice are synonymous, but I think social justice is a part of salvation, definitely. Like, I don't think they are apart from each other. Um, and this verse is very clear about that. So let's talk about some examples very quickly. Um, There are a lot of examples, a lot of examples in the Old Testament. And actually, I am a huge fan of the Old Testament. I know a lot of Christians are, but I love it. I love it. And I love reading Jewish commentary as well. Um, I used to, when I was at the University of Chicago, attend um, this Jewish... I don't know what it was, but it was like a discussion, but no one was discussing. It was just a rabbi talking um, and we would follow along. He would read passages from the Old Testament and just explain uh, the various traditions it was fascinating to me. <laughs> but anyways, um, so there are a lot of prophets who um, mirror this language of social justice. Um, Moses is the first one you think of, right? Um, the anti-slavery, the anti-government, anti-pharaoh, anti-oppressor. Um, a lot of his speeches in Exodus are very powerful um, and very necessary for us to understand in today's context as well. Um, to see the government as um, 
sometimes not having the best intentions, <laughs> which I think is important now when we're talking about defunding the police. Um, and, you know, I love reading Exodus because it was a really interesting question that was posed to me um, when I was in high school. And this person asked me, you know, if God is so good, um, why in Exodus when he when Moses tells pharaoh let my people go and pharaoh says no why does god punish the egyptians what do they have to do with anything he should just punish pharaoh and i thought you know as an egyptian myself (laughs) it's a very interesting question because um my natural reaction is to say yes he should not have punished the egyptians we are the greatest people in the world um as a joke y'all as a joke um but at the same time it's a very interesting question of social justice about how again politics um politics not being government but how we are interdependent on each other um which i mean includes the government because we are interdependent on the government as well but um and it shows you how god views oppression that oppression is not just you know (laughs) pharaoh pharaoh and his goons who enslaved the people but also the egyptians the egyptians who abused the slaves the egyptians who were okay with this who normalized slavery um who lived apart from the hebrews we know this from exodus that they lived in a you know a segregated existence right the egyptians who saw themselves as better than the hebrews um and so god sees oppression not as just the aggressor but also the bystanders bystanders um oh i cannot say that word (laughs) bystanders um and that's very important um and i think it shows a very early condition or story where um we see what does oppression look like um and it goes back to the hannah rent quote of evil is banal right and i think that's very interesting (laughs) uh because you know a lot of social justice people would understand why god retaliated against all the egyptians instead of merely just the person who's being the aggressor so social justice is important to why i say this um to understanding the bible itself um it's very uh social justice theory even helps us and guides us through the bible to understand something that we may see as harsh we may say like why did you punish the egyptians and kill their cows and their livestock this was their livelihood but then we see that social justice um you know like mlk hannah arendt all believe that the bystander the moderate um as mlk would say is just as deadly to the oppressed as the aggressor is you have folks like elijah who stood up before kings esther who stood up uh, against a massacre we have people like isaiah isaiah chapter one is one of my favorite (laughs) um god is speaking to isaiah and he says when you come to appear before me who has required this from your hand to trample my courts bring no more futile sacrifices incense is an abomination to me the new moons the sabbaths the calling of the assemblies i cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates they are a trouble to me i am weary of bearing them When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. 
Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Learn to do good. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. That's Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. To me, like, (laughs) I wish I could take these verses um, of God's anger. And he says, cease to do evil, learn to do good, right? You can unlearn evil and you can learn to do good. And how do you learn to do good? You seek. You seek out that justice. And how do you seek justice, right? Like each line goes into each other. It's such um, a beautiful chapter that I encourage folks to read. Um, And then it ends with, come, let us reason together. Um, So God defines sin as social injustice. When he says you are a tribe of people, a nation of people that I have hated, I don't even want to see your rituals, right? Again, going back to the idea that many people see salvation of the world as rituals, as liturgies, as prayers. God says, I don't want to hear that. (laughs) I don't want to see this. Um, As long as you have iniquity in your heart towards one another, um, what's the point of a ritual what's the point of quantity what's the point of offering a sacrifice every day what's the point of all your speeches and sermons what's the point and i think it's very important to note that all the prophets appear are chosen during times of moral iniquity when there is a bad king like ahab elijah came when there is about to be an invasion by the Babylonians, Jeremiah comes in. When there's a famine, there's Habakkuk. Um, there's so many. Every single prophet arises when the government and the society have sinned against God. And how have they sinned? They have, <laughs> they have continued their evil. They have not rebuked the oppressor. They have not defended the fatherless. They have not pled for the widow. They have taken the vulnerable in their society and cast them aside. So this is very important <laughs> because almost every single prophet of the Old Testament came up in a time of social injustice by the government and by the society, which I think are interlaced often. So... Um, And so every single prophet has been political. Every single prophet has risen. I don't want to say every single one because there's probably one. But, you know, almost every single one, like 90% (laughs) have come up and risen and spoken to a dictator, to a king, to somebody in power and said what you are doing is wrong. And this is very important (laughs) because we talk about these prophets and we lack the understanding to see how their actions are political and how their actions don't just take offense from the aggressor but also the bystanders that society that say oh well he killed a couple people at least he didn't kill me you know black people are killed by the cops but i'm not so it doesn't matter to me and of course the prophets set up the story of christ And of course, Christ, his whole, like I said, take every single chapter of the four Gospels. There is a social justice theory in there from you can link it to one social justice theorist. That's how 
powerfully wound up the Bible is in social justice theory, um, or how powerfully wound up social justice theory is in the Bible. Um, and I think that's a very uh, beautiful thing because a lot of social justice activists were not Christian, and yet they were mirroring a lot of the language and lessons that the Bible taught us. So, of course, Jesus, um, he also stuck up for the vulnerable. I don't think I need to have examples of that, but <laughs> just read the Bible. But <laughs> um, if you really need an example. Um, and what I love about Christ was that he rebuked folks um, as a whole, right? So he said, woe to you Pharisees, even though he was speaking to Nicodemus. So he knew that there were some Pharisees and some Pharisees invited them, invited him to their house, right? Um, and had dinner with him and he ate with tax collectors. So Christ was not opposed um, to dealing with Pharisees. He even took their questions, right? You know, them haters always be them followers, always following him around and asking him questions. Um, and he didn't reject them. He didn't... Um, push them aside but he did rebuke them he did tell it to them as it was right just like the young lawyer who says how do i make it to heaven and he gives him a very strong answer um <laughs> through the parable of the samaritan um the good samaritan and this is very important that christ also um told it to power <laughs> he wasn't afraid to say oh well these people are trying their best you know christ was not again he was not okay with just the bare minimum that you can do. <laughs> he saw the bare minimum as love and kindness to one another. Um, and what I love also about Christ is that he provided often for people the basics, right? If someone needed healing, if they were blind, lame, a leper, he provided them that healing. If they needed food after hearing his sermon, he provided that. Um, and that's very important because this is something that is lacking in a lot of Coptic churches. Again, most Coptic churches, I will speak in Nashville, um, there's a liturgy every day in Nashville now. Is there a service that is conducted every day for the community, whether that be a food bank? Um, we do have a food bank out of St. Mina, but it's not very, um, it's not for the community, it's for Egyptians. <laughs> um, but do we, as a community, provide for our community? Do we have programs for the homeless? Do we have programs for the undocumented? Do we have programs um, for new immigrants? No, not even new immigrants who speak Arabic. Um, so this is something we have to question ourselves about. We have a liturgy every day, but we don't have a service for the vulnerable every day. And this to me is very uh, not Christ-like, right? Um, again, he gave sermons, he gave prayers, but it, <laughs> he taught them how to pray. But did, you know... The thing that came after that, <laughs> feeding the 5,000, healing the sick. Where is that in our community? Um, I was going to read St. James, um, but I will save him um, just so we can get to the main ideas. But St. James is uh, a very fascinating apostle um, who lived, he was a contemporary of Christ, and his epistle is just five chapters. Um, it's really a beautiful epistle, um, and I think almost every chapter except chapter four talks about the rich oppressor. Um, and so it is really a lovely epistle that talks about um, that we must take care of each other. Again, 
social justice is pivoted on the vulnerable and so is Christianity. I'm only as good as the least of these. Um, even Christ said, I am the least of these. Like literally, I am the least of these in Matthew 25. Um, so if you don't see yourself as the least of these, um, then where is Christ in your heart? Where is your ability to bring folks to Christ? Where is salvation in the world? So I ask these questions as kind of a conclusion. How do we meet Christ? Is it merely through ritual? Especially if Christ, God does not want to hear our prayers anymore. He does not want to accept the sacrifices. How do we practice the radical love that Christ practiced, that the prophets practiced, that the apostles like St. James practiced? It is in our tradition but we have lost our way. And it's something that we need to hearken back to, that we need to recall, that we need to retrain our servants on, that we need to, not just our servants, but also our society on. We need better services coming out of the church. Um, We have it in us. (laughs) Um, It's really sad that oftentimes the people who are taking on services for the community are people outside of church. Um, and that the church servants are the ones actually barring a lot of the services from developing and flourishing, right? Because I know a lot of people, they're like, oh, Lydia, you think it's very easy to just come up with a service. It's not. (laughs) And I understand that. I was a servant in the church. So I completely, I'm not telling you just think of one and just just do it. Um, But it is a little bit sad (laughs) when you see in Nashville, The people who are doing food banks, the people who are making masks right now, the people who are serving the sick and in prison who do weekly visits are not priests, are not servants. So it's a harsh statement, but it is the reality that is happening on the ground. Um, And it's something that we really need to look into in our churches to say, how can we re-delegate positions so that we are serving the community not because of quantity not because of ritual not because of habit but because we want to mimic mirror the radical love that we see throughout from genesis to revelation throughout the bible the radical love that the early christians had for one another the radical love that the bishops wrote of and how they implemented it in their communities whether in egypt Um, or outside of Egypt in Africa and Asia, how did our early church fathers do this as well? Um, And I think it helps to take in social justice theory as well. So again, um, after June, starting in July, we will take topics um, in social justice theory and we will mix it with biblical passages and also um, theorists, social justice theorists, Um, So I think it's very important that we mirror them into one another um, and we see how much social justice actually fits. Um, And it's really important, I will end on this note, to see that social justice, which says and believes that all our lives are political and defines politics not as government, but, but as interdependency, as community, it's very important for us to not say, oh, well, I'm not political. I don't understand politics. I'm apolitical. Everything is political. Everything is political. Do not be blind to it. Do not close yourself off. (laughs) Um, We can all do better as a community. 
and we can all do better once there's education and awareness and discussion about these topics. So next week, um, I will introduce some of the theorists um, that I will be discussing um, and some of the theories that we will be discussing throughout the year this season. Um, But... I will see you all next week. Hopefully, um, starting in June or starting in July, everything will be every other week again. So only in July, we had it every week. Um, but I just want to conclude on the idea that a part of salvation is social justice and that I hope we are able to transmit this idea throughout um, our various Christian traditions, um, whether Orthodox or not, <laughs> um, and outside of Christianity as well within um, other spheres. So thank you for listening. This has been Lydia Youssef with the Il Mahabba podcast. If you like our podcast, I would encourage you to become a member on Patreon. Just look us up in Mahabba Center. Um, we'd very much like your feedback and your support. Thank you and bye.